Hello and welcome to the CBGS podcast brought to you by Aspen Weight. My name's Drew Armstrong <laughs> <laughs> and I'm here with Mr. Paul Waite um, and we have an interesting episode this week. I um, had an email from Ross, um, he sent me, um, he sent me a bit Curry. from Mr. Ross Coey and um, he sent me an interesting um, email about a business insider who are, who are bringing out an article in their next um, episode and they're looking for insights or in, magazine, you mean? In, their, in, their, in their next magazine yeah sorry um, and they're looking for insights on something that they call silverpreneurs so I'll just read a little bit about that so it's one major demographic pattern of recent years is the growth of the number of people over the age of 55 who are living longer and active lives and in business this translate into more, translates into more people who at the end of their career can't resist the draw of applying a lifetime's experience to new entrepreneurial ventures yes and this made me uh, think of the more of the subject of uh, like the, wider whole, the wider subject yes of um of people going into business say maybe after after a career or a sporting career yeah. or um uh, later in life <laughs> <laughs> and i i know we have um we have involvement with uh, the cardiff blues and um there's something that we're setting up to help them when they get to the or end of their to, careers yeah. or yeah and just wondering if you could talk a little bit about that um, yeah, so one of the things um, I thought about for some time is is you um, you've got an awful lot of people involved in sport, you know, and obviously certain sports that uh, you know we're more involved in, um, rugby being a, a great one, and uh, so you've got people who um, devote devote their lives to their sporting career. Um, and of course, you know, uh, the, the longevity of that career to some extent is in the hands of the gods. Mm. Uh, you know, and it depends on things like, um, uh, you know, injury and, um, you know, so it could be, they, a player could, could be concussed and, and, and end up playing, you know, could end up retiring when you're 25 or something. Mm. So, what, what what would be like the average retirement age for, like, say, a rugby player? I don't know. I, I would have thought, um, Mid thirties, perhaps. Oh, okay. So it's uh, quite young still. That's yeah. Footballers mm. might yeah. Foot, I mean, I, but then you get you know you get a lot of people who um, as I say have to retire um, of injuries and you know much earlier than that. Mm. I've obviously got the more fo- foresighted people who um, who prepare themselves for life after sport. You know, so you, I think they're probably in the minority. You know, people who. Who complete their education and make sure they get their degree or whatever, and mm. um, perhaps have uh, a very strong idea of where they're going in their in their life after um, you know after their chosen sport. Uh, but I think an awful lot of uh, sporting people sort of go through their career and then it's, it's almost like a quite a shock, you know. Yeah. So what, what do we do next? You know, mm. help sort of thing. You know, what what could we possibly do next? The amount so, of practice you have to put So in. I think, you know, one of, the, one of the things that I thought would be a good idea is um, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be good to give something back and actually, uh, you know, run a series of courses and, you know, real active live support so that people didn't feel like they were on their own and, uh, you know, they could, they could um, you know, have people like us, experienced people like us supporting them Mm. Um, and, and giving them the skills they would need to run their business. Now, this isn't true of all uh, sports people, and, and for t- I think for today we're not going to think about you know 
the different psychology of say footballers against jockeys or rugby players so we concentrate on rugby players on the whole I would say your average rugby player apart from the ones that play for Bath of course mm-hmm. that's just my little joke um, uh, are relatively intelligent in the scheme of things um, and the other thing I would say certainly from my experience is um, they would probably be reasonably outgoing Okay. I think to some extent as a rugby player you don't have a lot of choice mm. you know, I was speaking from personal experience I mean I was actually quite a shy bashful sort of <laughs> teenager in many respects but you know when you get like I did you know dumped naked in Minehead outside you know by your coach and <laughs> oh, things dear. like that and you know all the horrible drinking games you have yeah. to you know it's, it's, it's party quite, hard and all the songs that you have to learn you know mm. um it's quite difficult to stay shy and whatever for too long mm, so mm. you're almost um, forced into being some sort of social animal you know oh wow okay so I think um, you know rugby players tend to be quite personable you know sort of sociable types mm. and, um, you're, and you're saying that's that's a really good uh, thing to have well, going not a bad into thing business to have, is it? no definitely um, I mean I actually work with um, quite a few rugby players actually Um notably a few quite famous ex-Saracens and uh, actually one of the things that also strikes me is is um, is how grounded they are actually okay. you know you don't ever sit there thinking you know they're playing like little Lord Charles to me you know and mm. um, you know that they're they're not sort of certainly the ones I know they're not arrogant mm. you know they're mm. in fact quite probably quite the opposite they're, they probably take the view that you know they've got a lot to learn, and you know they're 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 happy to be given the opportunity to to do so. To be honest, mm. so um, yeah, I think um, the other thing, of course, is if you are. I suppose it depends on, on, on what sort of level you're playing at. But uh, the other thing, of course, of being uh, say you know say a rugby player playing in the top division is to some extent you're quite marketable, aren't you? Mm-hmm. You know. Sponsors, you've, you've got sponsors, that history. Uh, people know who you are. So, yeah, exactly. You know, sponsors will know who you are, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, you know, I think I think that's quite, you know, that's quite that's quite interesting. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think um, you know, going on to a broader subject about sports. So, if you think about uh, sports people generally, I would say, you know, you, you would you would have words like. Um, uh, determination you know effort uh, never say die attitude not giving in those sort of things mm, you know mm. um, I love the was in the in that great Ashes match you know where Stokes hit possibly the best you know hit, uh, the innings of all time I thought you know I remember what a commentator say uh, he, he never he, he never knows when he's beaten he's, or whatever he, he, or he refuses to refuses to accept he's beaten you know something like that and I think that that would be a spirit that would be true of um Many sportsmen, you know. I mean, my dad used to say something about me. You know, I'm not saying that I'm Ben Stokes, but mm-hmm. my dad used to say, uh, he said, well, I, won't do, I won't do the bad accent. Um, he used to say that Paul's either the bravest or the stupidest man I've ever met. <laughs> you know, um, which, which summed up his, his attitude towards my, you know, to me playing rugby, basically, mm, which was mm. um, one of bravery taken to the level of foolhardiness almost, you know. Mm. Um, so I think um, uh, funny enough you know if you take me as, as actually I'm not a bad example to talk about um, I mean, in fact my first book um, 
was deliberately a play on you know it's, it's, it's me standing as a cartoon character in front of some rugby posts yeah uh, and the book's called Raising the Bar and the whole mm. point the whole point was very much uh, my attempt to sort of bridge um, to try to build a bridge between um, sport and business yeah but well, between my rugby career and my business career mm, mm. and I think that um, life as a sportsman does give you you know lots of benefits mm. um, into your business life I would say mm. Yeah, I, I kind of think as well, like the commitment and the dedication that you need to be able to get really good at something, like in sport, can you know you need that commitment and perseverance and dedication in your business, not giving up, to be able to yeah. reach those those high. Yeah, no, I'm probably you know also um, while while um, having this attitude that you you know you'll find a way to win. I also think. Um, you know, obviously, as a sports person, uh, you also know what it's like to lose. Yeah. You know. Oh yes, yeah, so you kind of learn how to take that loss, or like, or how to. Well, we obviously do. You know, I'm not saying. I mean, I can remember um, the the year after we won the Somerset Cup, which was you know a high point in my life. Um, we should have won it again. In fact, we were a, a more dominant team in the competition uh, in the second year, and and, and we lost by a point in injury time to an extremely controversial decision uh, although I'm not you know it's, it's not something that I take with me every day but uh, I, 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 I felt at the time and looking back 41 years after the event or whatever um, is if I had if I had put in 3% more effort um, the, the event would never have happened anyway you know because you know, I didn't make as much effort to tackle someone as I could have done. You know, and 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 when the, when the, the whistle ended, uh, I was devastated. My dad had to come over. I was, you know, like you like to see people after the game where they've lost, and mm. you know, and I was I was inconsolable. You know, you, you felt that you didn't put that that you you could. Have no, put I felt that I extra. contributed to the defeat by not putting in as much effort as I could have done. Oh wow! Plus that, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of things like you know, we had a. Uh, our fly half broke his collarbone with four minutes to go and he was completely dominating the game and we ah, were okay, yeah. you know and he had to be replaced and you know it, it was it was a, it was a, it was a thing but obviously you know so i think probably as an individual having a life where i've experienced um you know the 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 joys of winning as a very very young man now as the youngest person playing in the tournament mm-hmm. i think it was barely over 16 oh wow you know and then obviously the second year as a I don't say staff but you know there's quite a big difference between being 16 and a half and 17 and a half yeah it? at that time yeah you know um, <clears throat> so to have to have the um, you know the ups and downs of both experiences probably in the long run you know it's painful at the time but as a life's experience it's probably you know uh, a broad you know a broader thing to have so I think um, I think on the whole I would say sports people um, have a good DNA, perhaps, and I, I, I would probably say that I would think that sports people would have a better chance of success than your average person, mm. myself. Mm. In fact, um, when I was doing my Johnny Groats to Land's End bike ride, and I was sitting in the van with my good friend Colin Wookie and my nephew Jason, and uh, we used to entertain Jason 
all the time being Colin by singing silly songs and bantering around. Uh, Colin was in the household cavalry mm. in his so in his previous so in his paid career. Um, so he'd be a good example of what you're talking about. So he he basically had a, a career as a guardsman in the household oh, wow. guards. You know, the, mm. with the, you know <coughs> yeah, people yeah, riding up and down hats. the mall. You know, um, and now he's got a. <laughs> Uh, a bike, bicycle hire shop, etc., in Bird on Sea. Okay. You know, in his case, I would say probably you know Colin struggles a bit with the entrepreneurial side of business. To be to be honest, uh, yeah. So um, yeah, yeah. One of the things we used to talk about actually was uh, the the difference uh, in character, I guess, uh, between certain types of. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, this is not really sexist because we can't really talk about women in this respect. So it's about men, actually. And, you know, we, we, I think Colin and I were both of the opinion that people people should either um, uh, have had, you know, have, have been in the forces or played rugby or something like that because you can actually tell the difference in character between people that have and haven't, in my experience. You know, there's something... There's something um, I think you know if you if I think if you play team sport for a long time as well, and of course it depends on on, on the sport you're in. And I did say team, um, so you know I think to be a Drew's got a very irritating piece of butter or something on his keyboard, which is very very Sorry. distracting. I have decided, it's a piece of uh, really really putting me off. To <laughs> um, so play in a team, um, and obviously you know this isn't true of everyone. So if you look at uh, for those of you that like rugby, you know you've got the, the sort of Danny Cipriani uh, debate, you know. So a lot of people think that you know he should be in the current England World Cup team or in the squad, and and he isn't. And that's and that's uh, probably if you if you you know, although this would be denied, I suspect it comes down to the fact that Cipriani is like one of those people. He's a character who's more than a team. Do you know what I mean by that? Like George Best was more than Man United. You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, you get certain people who, um, you know, maybe rightly or wrongly. Get labelled as team players or not team players, you know, and right. uh, and I think Cipriani is 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 is. Would be, I mean, the, the reason that Alex Ferguson got rid of David Beckham ultimately was for that reason. You know, David Beckham started going out with posh spice, mm. started to become, um, you know, a sort of a celebrity in his own right. Mm. You know, whereas what Alex Ferguson wanted was to have twenty three Man United players who wanted to play for Man United. You know, yeah, Does that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So I think. Um, the thing that you see in a good team player is, um, you know, a, a recognition. So in, in a game of rugby union, you've got 15 players. Um, and to some extent, um, if if all those 15 players don't do their jobs properly, it doesn't matter how brilliant one or two of them are. Mm. Do you know what mm. I mean? Mm-hmm. And There's got to be a cohesion. And I think, you know, there's, and you'll see, you know, the really good... You know the really good team players that you know, really understand the game and read the game extremely well. Uh, you know, and almost you know indispensable. And I think um, you know, apart from uh, the realism, I say I think that's a good word to use. The realism that goes with having played sports. So you know, I mean, I, 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 even now, you know, many years later, I sometimes um, will sit in my car or at my desk and I'll think about playing South Moulton away in the rain you know would be a particular memory you can remember specific games and yeah oh wow that's great yeah I remember playing South Moulton away in the rain mm. yeah <laughs> um, breaking my collarbone at Twickenham oh Christ you know after scoring a try 
Um, yeah, I can remember lots of matches, various cup matches, kicking various penalties, mm. and different technically from how you were outside the pitch I was on and roughly how far I was and things like that. You know, how would you put yourself um, <clears throat> in regards to say like being a team player? Like in those situations, were you more were you really cohesive with with the team and everything? Or um, that's an interesting one, that, actually. I would say, uh, interestingly, when I was at school. Um, so uh, yes, this is the 11 to 16 uh, I actually won the prize for being the best team player or something oh wow mm-hmm. uh, which was quite funny because I think um, <laughs> it's interesting it's an interesting you'd have to you'd have to ask someone like John Porteous what he thought about that I mean I would say personally which is difficult you know because you're talking about yourself I, I would say you'd go a long way to find someone who was a better team player than me mm. um I mean, a lot of people in my, at my age would be living on the golf course. Mm. Um, you know, and I definitely don't do that. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm forever, you know, if, if we're behind with something, I'll fill in and, you know, and that's across, you know, a lot of different disciplines. Um, the reason I'm, I'm smiling is, is uh, there have been times in my rugby career where I was accused of being a bit of a prima donna sort of non-team player. Yeah, I can remember a, a particularly obnoxious um, guy. I think he was a captain for a while. Um, didn't deserve to be, um, and he he obviously saw me as a threat because he wanted to kick, mm-hmm. you know, and I was much better than him. Um, and it's funny how how unpleasant or ruthless people you know will are prepared to behave. So rather than sort of turn around and say, well, Paul's obviously a highly talented young man, you know, we're lucky to have him on our side. He um, he did everything he could to do the opposite, almost. Mm. You know? So I used to end up. I remember it was one whole season. I'd rather play for the seconds because it was more fun. Yeah. And in that season, for instance, I think um, people would have said I wasn't a team player, mm. and I'm not sure I would have said I was myself. I would have said I was, but I was. It's funny, you know, I always identify with, you know, we're rambling a long way from your original um, discussion now, mm. but um, you know, you get, I watched a great series on Kevin Peterson recently. So Kevin Peterson was, in my opinion, probably one of the best 10 England cricketers of all time. Uh, you could say really South African cricketers because he was South African, but mm. um, so KP, as he's known, um, he, he was one of those people that you'd say so he was a Cipriani if you like but he, he was fortunate because he actually got to make 23 centuries for England or whatever it was um, you know he would be someone who would be very misunderstood misquoted um, and even today quite a divisive character you know um, I was reading I, I, I've bizarrely got to quite like Piers Morgan so 10 years ago I would have said I hated him and now I really like him. Mm-hmm. Piers Morgan is a huge friend of K- KP's, a uh, big supporter, and there was a big ruckus. Um, I, can't, I, don't, I can't remember how year long, uh, what year it was. Probably, probably ten years ago now, cause, because time flies, doesn't it? Um, and there was there was a big ruckus in the England dressing room. Um, this is, I think, this is during sort of um, Strauss's captaincy and, and Cook's sort of. Uh, other than Peterson's the best player, and. Um, we had a disastrous Ashes tour to Australia, which we lost 5-0. And despite the fact that Peterson got more runs than anybody else, he was the guy that copped, you know, copped all the blame. He was the full guy. He never played for England since. And it was interesting. Um, and Piers Morgan, as 
KP's friend said a lot of, as you can imagine, the sort of things that Piers Morgan says, mm -hmm. lots of very explicit comments about what he thought about uh, Kirk and Strauss, etc. And uh, it was quite funny because in I, I read um, the Sunday Mail magazine in the hot tub every Sunday mm -hmm. afternoon, and um, in in last Sunday's commentary at the end, he was saying that he was at the um, the cricket during the test I was talking about Stokes's wonderful innings and he was sat behind Nick Cook and of course he was saying you know in typical English style they managed to be there all day and not talk to each other because obviously um, to some extent they're enemies because they were on you know uh, Morgan was obviously very much on um, KP side and, and and very much slagging off Cook and to this day Cook hasn't spoken to him since you know Wow. so um See to me. So what happens quite often, and this comes down as well. This is why it's it's very important. This is where leadership comes in and management, because uh, in effect, you know what happened to me. I don't know how old I was. You know, perhaps twenty, mm -hmm. something like that. Um, is you had this very strong individual, right? Who I don't know. You know, was a bit of a Jack the Lad, you know, dodgy geezer type bloke. Mm -hmm. You know who, who who wanted to, uh, you know. I suppose almost, you know, sort of. You, you get a lot of people like this. You know, you sort of want to take over the team and 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 and, be, and make very much make it his own. And he didn't really. So he wasn't really interested in picking the best team. You know, he wanted the best experience for himself. Mm. You know, so he was going to kick the conversions regardless of whether he should or shouldn't. <clears throat> this so, is the captain that you're talking about. I think. Yeah, I think he was yeah. the captain. Yeah, mm. I think he was. I think he was. He did because he was. He was socially very adept, you know. Mm. And, uh, how, now, how did how did you guys do that? That that well, there was, uh, also was a, there was there was an annual general meeting, and various people were proposed mm. for positions. No, I mean, was, how did the team do in the in the actual competitions or in that in that, so that in that particular season? I, I, I can't remember because I wasn't mm. playing in the uh, I wasn't playing in the first team mm, for mm. most of the time. <clears throat> um, I can remember uh, uh, just again digressing. I can remember. Um, uh, one particular match though in that season because I said I chose to play for seconds and I scored 49 points on my own wow which was ridiculous well because I was far too good to be playing in the I mean I was, I was probably without being arrogant I was probably almost certainly uh, and certainly in terms of skill massively the best player in the first team mm. so uh, mm. you know to be the Kevin Peterson dropped to the seconds um, obviously uh, the people I was playing against were nowhere near as good as me mm. so um, <coughs> So I, don't, I would have said, you know, they did, they did, you know, I don't, they, they would have done, you know, moderately, you know. Mm. But the, I think the point is, is that, um, you know, going back to your thing about team player, um, so maybe the causal effect of how I was treated, maybe that people could have come up with the assessment that I wasn't a team player, but I would have said that that was the result of how I was treated, and all it needed was a sensible person just to say, come on, lad. Yeah. You know, so an, an older person just to put their hand on your shoulder and say, come on now, you know, whatever. And, you know, yeah. and, that, and that didn't happen. So anyway, so I think, you know, I think, um, let's say, you'd be, you know, I, I played with John Porteous in, in a lot of matches. So he would be, you know, he would be probably much better placed than I to talk about that. But I, I would have said, you know, from memory, um, you know, I, I would have said, uh, Certainly, in a team like you know, you know, as anyone that knows me, I mean, I'm obviously quite an opinionated person that's not very good at keeping their mouth shut. <laughs> so, you know, 
I have said, you know, I, I, I have been heard to say the old expletive. I remember calling one of the captains a fat bastard <laughs> or a stupid fat bastard or something. Or, yeah, I can imagine that. Because I wasn't happy with where he picked me or what I was being asked to do or something, you know. Mm. Um, no, that's an interesting one, you know. So you could you could probably say that at times in my career, perhaps you could say I was something like I was selfish or... Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know whether that's true or not. I mean, to me, you see, I think this is an interesting point to this because we're sort of going into the sort of sports mentality thing now. See, I think that um, the reason why, for instance, I was like that, I'm not claiming for a minute, but, you know, I'm not trying to say that I'm Kevin Peterson or David Beckham, but what I do think I, 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 I had is uh, I had an attitude as good as theirs Mm-hmm. You know, my attitude was that of a top Olympic athlete, you know, mm-hmm. and still is. I think, you know, as I think I've proven. I think if you are the sort of person that, you know, if, if you consider, you know, for instance, you know, if you took kicking, I reckon between the ages of ten years old and say eighteen, I would probably kick a rugby ball over the post at least for one hour every single day. Wow. Mm. So you'd have to say, over 10 years, I reckon I would have spent 3,000 hours kicking a ball over the post. Mm. I can remember one particular match, um, uh, which was away, um, I think it was away at North Pelleton, who were, who were now in the southwest Division 1, I think. And um, it was an incredibly blustery day with the wind blowing all over the place. Uh, and I kicked 10 out of 10 conversions most of which were on the touchline I remember their captain coming over and he said how did you learn to kick like that and I just said practice <laughs> and also I think there was one of the things and also um, no little intelligence because because obviously being able to kick a ball beautifully in itself isn't what you need on a windy day yeah, you need yeah. better to say hang on a minute the wind's blowing across the post so I need to I actually need to miss so, so sometimes as a kicker you'd, you'd look at the post and you'd You'd actually have to say, "Well, actually, I need to, I need to aim it to the right to miss by five yards." Yeah, mm. because the wind, and then the wind will bring it back and it'll go in the middle. Yeah, you know, or I, yeah. I need, the harder kick was to miss on the left. Mm. As a right-footed person, to try to kick to miss on the left is much more difficult, mm. unless you're over on the right-hand side, of course. You know, if you can appreciate that as a as a person yourself. So, yeah, I think, um, but I think you know the the whole point that you know that. You know, you have that attitude, and that is why you think you can do anything. And you know, and I think, mm. and I think that's that's important. I think what happens sometimes is you get people who are very highly driven, you know, highly talented people, and if things go slightly wrong, then it's very easy to label those qualities in a negative way. Do you see what mm-hmm. I mean? Whereas, whereas I would say, for instance, if you if you took the essence of me, you know, as you know the bloke that was sent standing in the rain in South Moulton or whatever. That 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 character was exactly unchanged as a fifty-year-old man cycling twelve hundred miles in eight days, whatever it was. You know, mm-hmm. when I did the John O'Grace Land's End thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember. Um, you know, so one of the things you get. I'm very self-motivating, and which is another, another obviously another great quality for um, a businessman. Yeah. You know, self-motivation is, is obviously a great thing. Uh, you know, the, the dedication I put into my training prior to the the ride was just unbelievable. Probably, 
don't know, eight months of training, you know, culminating in getting to a point where I was doing uh, five to six 17 mile trials one after the other in a day. Mm. Wow. 100 mile, you know, 100 miles. Um, you know, and also, you know, pushing yourself really hard. I tried to do it in an hour each 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 trial you know mm. um you know that requires tremendous dedication and most people wouldn't be able to do that mm. or would require someone else to kick them up, to kick them up the arse to yeah do that, you know? and can you can you translate that to something um using that um how you have in business like can you think of a project or or uh, where it's been you've had to show that amount of dedication and well no yeah that went every day I'd say. yeah just turning up yeah, and so, putting it in every no, I, day so i think you know that was the whole point I just wanted to finish off that story. So, okay. um, so I remember you know, just one, one point I wanted to make. I can remember the first night uh, we stayed in a hotel um, about twenty miles from Johnny Groats, and I got up in the morning and checked out. And the owner said to me, "Oh, you, you know, you're doing Johnny Groats to Land's End." And he said, "How long? How long?" In a very broad Scottish accent, was he? "How long are you going to take it, laddie?" And I said, um, eight days." And he said, um, eight days?" Or he said. Uh, he said most people that stay here uh, either take 10 or 12 mm -hmm. and I said I'm not most people <laughs> that's what I said yeah yeah I don't know whether you think that's arrogant no it's just um... no that's, that was my point I mean mm. I don't, to me that's how I think and, and, and I understand that some people might say what a cocky thing to say mm. but you know and, and people used to say to me things like why eight days and I'd say well because I can fucking well do it in eight days <laughs> <laughs> sorry to, sorry to, I'm sorry sorry to be I don't know whether it's, whether it's, whether it's actually a, sorry that was a quote mm -hmm. by the way <laughs> but that's actually what I did say mm. you know the fact is I trained to you know my coach basically said to me you need to cycle 14 miles an hour Right at nine o'clock, and you still need to be going forty miles an hour at five o'clock. Wow. That's what you need to do, yeah. right? So he used to say to me, "You know, this is the thing. This is this is. I think this is the thing about character. You know, um, regardless of how great you might feel at ten thirty, resist the temptation. Stop pedalling off down the road at twenty. Oh, okay, yeah. Because so you need to still be cycling at four yeah, o'clock at fourteen. You don't want to burn out early, you know. Mm. And, 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 and it'd be interesting to get Colin Wookie here. You know, the guy who's in the household cavalry." Because one of the things, you know, I, say, I tell this story a lot, it's in, it's in the first book. You know, one of the things he said that I taught him, because he did about half of the ride with me, and Colin is very undisciplined. So mm -hmm. Colin would go piddle off down the road at 20 or whatever. And of course, what used to happen, particularly uh, particularly um, with hills, because I'm like massively better cycling up a hill than him. So what used to happen is, given enough time, or the advent of a hill, is I would, always, I, would, I would eventually catch him up. Mm -hmm. and of course, what would happen is, I can't remember how long it took into the ride, but um, I said to him, well, why don't you stop, you know, cycling around like a madman and actually sort of try and Guess take a leaf out of my book? Mm. Um, you know, you might find that rather more satisfying and then obviously you wouldn't get so tired and whatever. Mm. And so, um, yeah, he did. And, you know, and considering he did no training at all and he had at least a point every day when we were on our bike ride, you know. So it's quite funny, really. It was like, it was like, um, it was like uh, the Bohemian and the monk, me being the monk. I'm sitting there, basically, you know. Uh, you know it was quite funny, really, you know, drinking me water and having me herbal teas and everything. There's Colin chucking his point of lager down every night, you know. But he did 600 miles. Wow. You know, and, 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 and actually at the... At the event we had uh, in uh, after the, the charity event we had after the ride, 
I actually said in my speech that I considered that his achievement was greater than mine. Mm. You know, his relative achievement was greater than mine, and I think it was. Mm. You know, but if you were to talk to Colin today and you said to Colin, "What did Paul Wake teach you?" Mm. and he'd say, "Discipline." Mm. Now, to me, to have a, an ex-household cavalry person say that is something that makes me feel very proud. Mm. So I think, um, you know, you wouldn't expect. He said, "There's two blokes. This guy, this guy is this mad." Businessman, you know, that was quite a good rugby player, you know, generally quite talented sport. You got this guy over here that was in the household cavalry. Which one of them is more disciplined? Yeah, actually, but it's it's Mr. Wake by by a huge mile. Yeah. You know? mm. So, yeah, I think no, I think um, not not in a natural way, but I'd say um, you know, you know, a lot of a lot of qualities of human beings are things that aren't necessarily you know you don't necessarily consciously think about them, do you? Mm. So, you know, I think that. You know, if you think about things that people would say about me, you'd probably say things like I was determined, mm-hmm. you know, resolute, mm. <laughs> resilient, you know, those sort of things. Um, what do people say about me? Things like Paul doesn't know what no means. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's, that's something people would say, isn't it? Mm. That would be a defining sort of character. I think the uh, the willingness to um, to get involved in the team and say, look, you know, the, 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 this team, this bit of the team's under pressure. I'm going to help that bloke out. The other thing I think um, it's got nothing to do with really the whole core subject, but the other thing I think I've done nearly all my life, which is uh, quite unusual, is um, I I hate the whole the, the whole thing that happened to me. You know, the the talented young lad sort of being shut on because the older Jack the lad guy wanted the glory. Mm-hmm. You know, that that is a complete anathema to me. I hate it. Mm. You know the whole thought of it. Mm. So I've one of the, one of the, I'm just pleased that I have managed to achieve. So you know one thing I won't put up with. I will. I, you know, don't matter who it is. Would be things like injustice. You know, there's been a situation where much earlier in Aspen Wake's career, you know, one of my colleagues, you know, who was a very, very, very good friend of mine, sacked one of the trainees, uh, and I reinstated him because mm. it was shocking. Mm. You know, there, it was, it was, it was, it was beneath us. You know, um, so you know, I, I would never be afraid to. Uh, you know, I won't have. Um, I, you know, if I can do anything about it, I won't put up with bullying or, you know, what I consider to be unfair behaviour. Or I wouldn't allow uh, a talented person, regardless of how complex or confused they were to be maltreated by somebody else mm. or by a group of people, you know, it's not mm. something that I I would do. So I think, you know, I think personally, um, you know, so it's much easier to talk about myself rather than Kevin Peterson or mm-hmm. some retired Cardiff Blue. <laughs> you know, I think um, having having a sport, it's, it's funny actually, uh, one of the people in our network is a great guy called Charles Willoughby. I don't know if you've met him yourself. Charles went to our Christmas party um couple of years ago but it's a bit of a party animal actually so Charles actually a South African played for Somerset for 10 years great man now works for um, Cooper Associates in um, in Taunton who interest very interestingly if you, if you notice uh, Jack Leach that's playing for England at the moment who's batting with Josh Butler at the moment uh, who plays for Somerset if you pick if you look when you're watching <coughs> the, the, the cricket this morning you look at look at his bat when he is on telly, and it's it's got Cooper Associates all on the bottom. Mm. So uh, it's mm-hmm. a good little plug for Coopers. Um, so uh, I actually invited Charles to talk at one of our events 
um, about 14 months ago and I asked him to talk about um, uh, all about the sort of things we're talking today about you know how how, how uh, being a sportsman's helped him mm. in business you know and what what how he would sum up his attitude and things like that and what was what was quite funny uh, well not funny not funny ha ha was um, he went to school with a guy called Jacques Callis um, I think he was scored more runs for, for South Africa than anybody else in history mm. so we're talking about one of the greats you know uh, Jack Callis was also quite a good bowler and um, he was telling the, the tale of uh, so Charles himself wasn't uh, someone that was in the, the same sort of focus as, as Jack Callis was and he said that you know what happened every day is he said he and all the other lesser mortals would would go home on the bus or whatever, and Jack Callis would still be there in the nets. Wow! Yeah. And I and what I what I learned from that was even though, on the face of it, I hadn't achieved what Charles Willoughby had, my attitude was actually more like Jack Callis's than his was. Mm. Do, you, do you see what mm. I mean? Because mm. I said to Charles, "That's me. Mm. I was still in the nets." Mm. In my case, I was still I was kicking the ball. Over. But obviously, a cricketer. I, obviously, I was. Very, very de- I'm the sort of person that, you know if I'm going to do something then you know and, and then I do it 2000% <laughs> so I think you know I think you know going back to the business thing um, you know I think that having having um, a sporting background is on the face of it um, a great help now of course it depends on your character doesn't it so mm. you know that can you know, if, so for instance if you took the guy I said who was um, you know who didn't treat me very well and made me resentful um Funny enough, he went. He had Irish descent, if I remember rightly, and he ended up um, moving to Ireland, the Republic, uh, which did actually allow for um, some quite amusing uh, rugby matches later because we used to play Claude Mel because that's where he went to. Oh wow! Uh, which was probably the worst thing for my. He used to bring bring this um, this hooch, this poutine stuff over, and I've <laughs> never been so drunk in all my nice. life. But anyway. Um, you know, now, now perhaps someone like him, I'm not convinced that his character would translate particularly well into being a top businessman. Because you, know? mm. um, um, you know, he was, you know, you know, perhaps quite an egocentric, selfish sort of person. Now, I think, you know, I think as a, as a character, um, you know, there's very important basic characteristics to have. So I think, you know, being a team player, being determined, they're fine, but in itself, they're not enough. You know, I think one of the things which is very important for a business person, is you have to be well advised and you have to be someone that will take that advice. Okay, so be able to... But yeah, I suppose that could like translate in sports, like when you you, you kind of like have to listen to the advice of, say, like the coaches or the professionals in that way um, and take that, because that could be hard sometimes, I can imagine. If they if they make a decision that you're not happy with, um, was that, would that be kind yeah, of... Perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I suppose yeah. If you were taking the, if you're taking the sort of sporting analogy, it would be mm. something like, um, you know, the coach tells you to change your tackling position, and instead of you saying no, piss off, you actually listen to it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, because I mean, he's yeah. telling you for a reason. So I think you know, surrounding yourself with the best people you can is obviously uh, a, a very sensible thing to do. You know, mm-hmm. um, so you know that 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 would be something that. Um, any business person should do. I mean, I think when all said and done, it doesn't matter how determined you are and how well advised you are. If you don't have any talent, 
or you don't have something that people want, you're not going to succeed, are you? Mm. So, mm. you know, if you look at probably, you know, um, a business area where you'd have an awful lot of failure, it would be, you know, not, not I haven't heard it so much now, but I remember when I was younger, you know, you'd hear people say all the day, all, all the time, you know, their dream was to have their own pub or their dream was to have their own restaurant or something. Mm-hmm. That's probably the surest far away to fail you've ever heard of, you know, because um, there's very few people successfully run, you know, institutions like that. Mm-hmm. So you quite often find, you know, mm-hmm. and this would be, you know, this. so this is probably, you know, as a good overall comment against the subject matter. I think, you know, the danger of setting up your own business, certainly later in life, would be you've built up... Um, you know, uh, a nest egg or a pool of savings, and then you're not very good at what you're doing. You lose it all, you know. Yeah. Because you know that's because the, 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 the fact is, and if you look at the failure rates, you know, I don't know, you're probably more likely to fail than you are to succeed. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, that'd be against, a big risk. I think against that, I think one one probably has to um, to look at the sort of profile of the sort of people we're looking at. You know, the businesses. I mean, probably. If you, I don't know what you called them, silver entrepreneurs, was it? Silverpreneurs, yeah. Silverpreneurs. Um, I keep thinking about monkeys. You say that to me, you know. Silverbacks. <laughs> um, probably the vast majority of those silverpreneurs would be in micro businesses. Mm. You know, very small businesses, where mm. perhaps they, I don't know, they've been the health and safety officer in a big company all their lives, and then they. They offer health and safety advice to businesses, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it's still on their talent. And just going back to talent as well, um, like, just made me think of that. Like, when you said said talent, um, like, like discipline, like, I think could maybe even be more important than, say, talent. Like, to have that talent, you need to have that consistency that you talked about to, to, you know, it doesn't just come out of thin air. Like, I don't think it's just something... Uh, people obviously have natural talents and things like that, mm. but I think consistency out-trumps natural talent consistency sometimes. Consistency out-trumps natural talent. Some, you know, as in, like, as in consistently, <laughs> like, practising or consistently putting the effort in every day over a long period of time would out-trump, like, just doing picking it up every now and again because you have nat- natural talent at something, like, and not, not putting that consistent... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, that, that comes back to application and stuff, doesn't it? Mm. I mean, I think you know, I think one of the points, you know, if we're going to if we're going to sort of do the sort of analogy between sport and business, um, I mean, one thing that is undoubtedly true is a good team will always beat a good. T- so, if you had, um, let's say, uh, let's say that one team had five people playing in it that were the best. Mm-hmm. So let's say they were 100 out of 100, right? And uh, the rest of the team were 83 out of 100 people. Mm-hmm. But the five people, just being a bit dramatic now, the five people who were 100 aren't really team players or they're not fitting into the team. So they're, or perhaps, perhaps they're not playing every week or perhaps their people are coming in back from internationals, not yeah. fully integrated into the system, okay? And then they're playing against a team of 15 people who are all 80. Mm. Right, the but they play people, together every they're week. Gonna win. They've got a team ethos. Well, I'm not saying they will win, but it wouldn't be surprising if the team uh, that were all 80 with no stars could quite comprehensively beat the other team. Mm. You know, so if you look at um, you know a good example of that, say the Exeter Chiefs would be uh, a great example of that. So if you looked at 
say if you looked at Exeter Chiefs playing Bath and you went through the, the teams player by player and you said who's the better player and then you, you were to pick a team you know of Bath and Exeter put together mm-hmm. I would think uh, you'd put well, at least I'd say at least half the team would be Bath players but if you look at the last three years um, the results would suggest something else and certainly the results in the league suggest something else Exeter are playing to a high level every week and Bath are inconsistent at best mm. the better team undoubtedly is, is Exeter Chiefs mm. you know so um, well that comes back to a lot of things doesn't it that's why um, you know we were talking about team not individuals so yeah. Yeah, that comes back to the point so at, at the end of the day any any business and any team is only as good as the people in it it's only as good as people in it and also how they are led yeah. so the ethos of the company is the person to some extent also everything in a business stems from the top down not yeah. from the bottom up yeah you know that that that, that has to be the case mm. so um you know the ethos starts at the top with with the um with the boss mm. so if the boss doesn't have the right attitude then clearly that's no not else gonna going to translate just down, see no. people just look up at the boss and think well yeah, you know. and it's crazy because like that that cohesion that you need in a team, like a team should always be working towards the same goal. But it just it seems mad to me to think um, naturally in team environments that doesn't happen, or there can be con- conflicts within that. Like say in like a rugby team, like not everyone like, and that's a, a massive massive issue, you know. So it's like how you resolve that in um, in is really important as well. And I think that's comes from the top down, you know, like. Um, like as in yeah like you're saying like who are you looking up to in in that um who 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 is the team looking up to in that situation mm. yeah you know <laughs> yeah so i think you know it's a bit sorry listeners it's been a bit of a rambly sort of confused episode today but i hope it's been reasonably entertaining <laughs> now i think um you know like we've talked we talked about i think the disciplines you know are are, are consistent with what we talked about in previous episodes where you know um, at the end of the day you know planning things like planning and preparation are key you have to have something that people want you know that that has to be the case so it doesn't matter how talented you are or how famous you are if you don't have something that people want and you have to be good at what you do mm-hmm. you know don't be the best but you know you have to be pretty good at what you do um, and, and, and you know and again you know probably you know as you rightly said probably if you said of all the things, what is the single most important uh, attribute? I would say working hard. Mm. You know, uh, sheer hard work and determination is 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 really important because uh, life is never completely plain sailing. You know, that's why I called my second book "Winning Two One" because it's so true. Mm. You know, as a, as an individual or as a business person, you know, you have a series of wins and then. You have bad things happen to you all the time. It's like good, bad. You know, mm. you know it's mm. like two steps forward, one step back. Uh, pick up three clients, lose one, or whatever. Mm. You know, it mm. might be. You know, that's that's the way it is. Mm. So I think probably attitude and character are quite important, and a sporting person uh, tends to have that. So go back to your point about the blues. Obviously, what well, you know, it's not just the blues. So you know, one of the things we're trying to do is is to give people the tools to to. Um, to give them the chance to be more successful than they might otherwise have been and, uh, and, and more support. And, you know, and I think it, it's important that, um, 
because we're very community based as you know mm-hmm. so I think you know and that probably comes out of to some extent of teams isn't it community and mm-hmm. teams are all consistent things so I think um, you know you've got people who have um, especially if you look at it like this you, particularly you know look at football clubs there's been a couple of football clubs recently that have been in severe financial trouble was it Berry, Berry that have gone or Bolt I can't remember one of the one of the one of the you know one of the championship clubs has, 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 has failed and you hear their fans being interviewed and they say things like you know they talk about the fact that the club is the town you know mm. you know the whole community is based around the town and you know a town can be happy or sad depending on how its football club does mm. you know mm. so I think you know picking up with that sort of sentiment um, it seems to me that say take Bath which is you know hugely a rugby city if you've got people Cardiff Blues you know the same sort of thing you know if you've got people that have given joy and entertainment to their community for years it doesn't strike me as uh, inappropriate that people like us should try to recognise that by giving them a bit of free support Mm, mm. should be what life's all about really Mm. everyone helping each other (laughs) yeah that's great I think we've covered a lot of really important um things there like the like, we like learned about Paul standing in the rain and Seth Moulton yeah <laughs> and just what come out to me like the, the the team team player um consistency discipline like they're all like yeah and we, we've got we've delved into those areas quite deeply in each one so thank you for that Paul so today um uh sorry a record I've really been listening to quite a lot recently which um is a fantastic um piece of work is uh, a forest by the cure Cool. So, Cure are um, uh, credibly, um, what's the word, talented mm-hmm. bands uh, led by the charismatic Robert Smith with the huge mass of black hair, mm-hmm. hugely distinctive guitar sounds, unlike anybody else's. So, um, Into the Trees is where we're going to leave you today. I know Drew, Drew, like you, Drew, 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 Drew likes trees, so uh, uh, I'm sure he'll agree like it too. So, um, I hope you didn't mind listening to me standing in the rain of South Moulton and on that note uh, we'll leave you to a lovely weekend yeah thank you very much listeners enjoy
Thank you.